You're listening to Law, Life, and Culture on WNHH LP 103.5 FM. Hello, I'm Betsy Kim. We are extremely honored to have in the studio world-renowned photographer and visual artist Nona Faustine. She is the lead artist with the 17th Annual Summer Apprenticeship Program at ArtSpace, where her powerful, thoughtful exhibition, Making Them Known, Nona Faustine, is currently on display. Nona's work has received international acclaim. For example, in August 2015, Jonathan Jones wrote the Guardian article, The Scars of America, Why a Nude Artist is Taking a Stand at Slavery Sites. In December 2016, Alexandra Schwartz authored the New Yorker Review, A Living Monument to the Ghosts of American Slavery. And in just July of this year, Maurice Berger in the New York Times reviewed Nona's work of family photos. Ms. Faustine, welcome to Law, Life, and Culture. Thank you, Betsy. I'm glad to be here. Now, ArtSpace displays some of your photography reviewed in the aforementioned articles. The wall text describes your work as confronting history in a quiet yet forceful way. It states, in her series, White Shoes, Donning White Pumps, Sometimes with a white skirt or nude, Faustine employs her body as an embodiment of millions of enslaved women of African descent. Can you describe one or two of your pieces of art that this text refers to? Um, The first image that comes to mind is the Wall Street image, which is called of my body, um, excuse me, um, from her body, uh, their greatest wealth. And so uh, that image takes place on Wall Street Water at the site of the original slave market in colonial times. And I'm standing there completely nude except for the white shoes with the shackle on my wrist. And I'm standing on like a, a apple box kind of faux auction auction block. And um, but that one didn't make it into the show. So I should uh, really discuss ones that are in the show um, I think there's one Sojourner Truths, uh, former home, the site of her home, which is now in uh, Chinatown in New York City. What was China? Uh, it used to be a black neighborhood in colonial times. So um, and I'm holding um, a sign with her famous quote, aren't I a woman? So um, from her famous speech, um so those are some of the, the images from the White Shoes series. What did you want the art in White Shoes to say and to show to people? Um, you know, oh my gosh, that's a big, hard, long question. But, um, you know, I began the series when I was uh, a graduate student at the International Center of Photography. And looking back um, the past couple of years, I realized that a lot of the work was made in response to the environment I was in, which was um, a, a very challenged environment, uh, could be very alienating, um, uh, uh, ra- racist in many, many um, in many ways. I encountered um, prejudice and racism. But also then looking at the larger context of the art world um, in which I, I would enter museums and galleries and never see anyone on the wall that looked like me 
right? And then there was this other big behemoth of the history of New York City, where enslaved people largely built New York City from the ground up. You know, they cleared the land, they built the roads, they built the wall that gave Wall Street its name. They were the first commodity on Wall Street. And yet people don't associate New York City with slavery. And so as the city changes, that was, and and, and being a native New Yorker born and raised, that was an issue. Well, if we forgot them, Will they forget me? Will they forget all of us? So it was like trying to solidify, you know, all of that I was feeling within the graduate school context in the history of New York. Then it was my body as a a black woman. You know, I had just given birth two years prior, two and a half years prior. And, you know, I felt so empowered and, and wanting to celebrate, but also looking back at the history and lineage of black women in the United States, you know, and how um, for a large part we invisible invisible and the contributions we have made um, in mothering and, you know, um, in keeping our families together and celebrating, you know, who we are um, in many ways and celebrating womanhood, you know, so it was, it was about so many things and I wanted a series that that talked about all those things. Oh, I was sh- shaken up and, and taken by and moved by many of your photos on many levels, especially the ones where you're nude and standing on what appears to be a slave auction block juxtaposed by urban buildings of power or tombstones in a graveyard. Um, I think from your work, from her body, I will make monuments in her honor. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about the use of nudity in this context? Yeah, well, you know, nudity in the black female body is is a very charged um, subject and in many ways kind of taboo, you know, because you you over the course of 350 years of propaganda, we, we see the black female body is, is something pornographic because of um, the context in which um, the black woman has been used in slavery and chattel slavery and the depictions of her coming out of that and Jim Crow um, um, and stereotypes of the Jezebel, a mammy um, of, of uh, Sarah, um, Hot and Tot, um, Sarah Bartman, a.k.a. Venus Hot and Tot, who was a sensation in Europe, lured from South Africa and then put on display in Europe as a freak uh, because she had a very voluptuous figure. And so all of that translates and carries with us into today. And so when you look at the black body, it's politicized already. And so... um I, I wanted to add my my thoughts and 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 cha- reclaim that history and make it my own. No, and that's fascinating because I hadn't drawn the association with slavery and pornography mm-hmm. and in the, the use of women's bodies. But I found also the photographs moving also because I think in today's world, nudity can be used gratuitously or to get attention or as a tool of sexuality. But your use of nudity is quietly but brutally reminiscent of how nudity and sex were imposed on slaves in an unthinkably cruel and dehumanizing way. 
and that really had nothing to do with nudity associated with seduction or right. fantasy concepts. Can you comment on this and how you came up with this as a way to convey brutality? Well, you know, I I'm not an enslaved person and I've I've I'm a free person and that's all I ever known. So my reference, yes, is knowing that history, but also and also still feeling tinges of it still remnant in the society, heavily or not so, um, but really heavily. Um, and so I I just begin looking at bodies. I begin looking at um the history of the black female in photography and art, um, wanting to to reclaim that and come up with a new, um, fresh kind of look that looks back but also looks forward. Um, and so I want I wanted you to see what a black female body looks like in those places of of slavery and and the history of slavery. But also, if you look at me and the way I'm standing, a lot of times I'm not cowering. I'm not looking down. I'm I'm defiant in a, in a kind of quiet way. I'm looking at the viewer, but not sexually. The way I'm posed is not very is not sexual at all. So I'm like, you know, really in a in a quiet, defiant way, challenging the viewer to see me. You know, um, and so I I, I just. It just came just looking at all those things and and looking at the way people on beaches um, sort of perform in a way and in, in, in their environments just uh, brought me to this. And just recently this year, I read a Teen Vogue article saying stop calling black enslaved women mistresses. They right. were rape victims. Mm-hmm. And the article noted that a relationship means mutual choice and affirmative set, consent, something slaves did not have, including Sally Hemings. You know, when one person is a slave and the other person is chattel or property, this is rape. Is that sense of vulnerability and exploitation also something that the nudity of your images suggest or project well that yeah well yes to all of that um sally hemmings had no real say over consent from the time she met jefferson at 14 you know at 14 years old so it was almost impossible it's it's impossible for an enslaved person to give consent and to to form relationships in a in a loving way in which we know now um and and enslaved women were uh either you had to um uh be with that man who desired you or wanted to have you or you know you were sold off you were brutalized anyway um and rape was prevalent i mean it changed the whole face of our people here in the United States. Um, so it's impossible to, to, to give her uh, the title mistress. Mistress is a consensual term, you know? So um, yeah, I, I hope that answered some of your questions. It certainly <laughs> does. You know, and on the other hand, you also address this other issue, how there is something incredibly brave and strong and powerful about your getting up there, getting in those photos to help people understand facts, but conveyed in such a visceral way that it goes beyond words alone. How does your nudity in these images also speak to your own power? Well, um, 
you know, it, it's been a journey as as I've grown from a young woman into full womanhood and motherhood to to, you know, find that strength within me. But what pushed me was the larger context of um, a history and wanting to um, contribute my feelings and thoughts on that. Um, I hadn't I hadn't seen it really done. Um, and so I, I just I is something greater inside me that pushed me more than my own nerves, um, more than uh, what people would think about my body. It, it just it wouldn't go away. And as I you know, grew up in the city, knowing these sites, knowing this history, learning more and more every day, reeducating myself. You know, it just was something um, as I became stronger within myself to to go forward with this project. Yes. And your exhibition is thought provoking on so many levels because Thank of you. that on the issue of bravery and having the guts to put yourself out there to make people understand things. But in the way you do it, there was something very daunting about it, you know, and part of the reason I was moved where there were internal flashes of my thoughts of, Oh my God, I would never do that. I just could never imagine myself going out in public to shoot these photos, even though I understand you did it very early in the morning, but even less have them displayed on a wall. Can you talk about was this hard or was it essential and more a little bit and how you found the guts and courage to do this. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, I was I'm a mom and, and I know what that took to to carry a child within you for nine months and, and, and give birth. But um, mm-hmm. this project was like the hardest thing, just just being so vulnerable in a public place and the what ifs. What could happen? You know, um, the threat of arrest, the that threat of being attacked, um, you know, any number of things. But um, once I decided to go forward with it, it, you know, it just it just took over. And but it's still before I go out there, it's still terrifying. Like I have to do all these things psychologically to to get myself um, ready and um, it still is, but I, I, I believe in what I'm doing and I, I feel that there's a greater force um, pushing me to do it. Um, I often feel a deep sense of spirituality when I go out to these sites. Um, some of them are actually the ancestors are right beneath my feet where like uh the Tweed Courthouse on on Chamber Street. That's part of a six point six acre cemetery of enslaved people, and their bodies still are underneath the street. So, um, when I I just feel a greater sense of of duty, um, also to remember them. Uh, we don't in African Americans in in this country. We don't have many places we can go and mourn. And so in many ways, this, this series was, was for me about um, mourning, but also um, um, yeah, it was about mourning in many ways. Yeah. Another reason I found your photos very moving were they reinforced many notions about those who, um, try to force themselves to conform to certain uh, body body stereotypes. 
and how that sexuality or what is deemed beautiful is truly dictated by certain strongholds of power. Who decides what is beautiful, who gets accepted or gets to feel comfortable, and why so many women are forced to feel they need to strive for these certain notions of beauty because is it because they conform to white male standards? Right. I, I've lived with that all my life. You know, I mean, from the time I was a young girl and I first subscribed to Vogue magazine and constantly seeing those bodies that I, I would like, I wanted to attain, you know, in some kind of way and, and realizing that I was never that going to be that type of woman. And just uh, the being bombarded for all of my most of my life with this impossible image of beauty but realizing all along uh, that I was beautiful hey about what what about that dark skin girl what about that curvy uh latina girl what about that or uh, the big Short white asian girl yeah yeah what about uh, so many different body types and so so many of us are so beautiful and we're constantly being like just bombarded with this one or two type of image. And I mean, it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. We have so many women out there now representing, but I mean, it's still, it's still a big leap. And um, it is something that I felt once I became a mother, I embraced, you know, I saw my body do this incredible, incredible thing. And I just, I felt very powerful. And I was like, you know what? Uh, the, the shackles off, so to speak. And you know what? This is me. You know, the most powerful, beautiful person is, is me to me is me. And I wanted to give pass that on to my daughter, you know. And that also makes a strong statement about the right to be beautiful and comfortable in your own skin. Exactly. Correct? I mean, you know, it's like you can you can be comfortable in your skin, but then why do we have to constantly be bombarded with this other image of who we're supposed to take? It's in advertising, it's in movies, it's in film videos. I mean, it has changed the whole uh, feeling of, of who, you know, women are supposed, look and feeling of who we are supposed to be as women. And I think um, women, a lot of us are just sick of it. We're just absolutely sick of it. And so um, I, I think my declaration in that was 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 in these images also speaking to that. Now, the juxtaposition of nudity triggering ideas of exploitation, vulnerability, yet also power and strength and individual notions of beauty. Can you discuss this whole mix? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes like when you are creating a body of work, you have you have a few things and ideas and themes that you want to discuss. A lot of it is so intuitive and, and so um, instinctual and it, it's, it's not until later you process everything that it's, it's talking about and working on, on these different levels, these co different complexities. Um, and so I think if we even, if I went so far in creating the work to think about, all those nuances, I I I would have got kind of trapped. So I'm glad that I had a few a few like themes and ideas, but I knew it was multi layered. I knew what I was doing was multi layered and talking about all those things. So um, yeah, 
<laughs> it's it's I I think we would need like at least another hour for me to like go through it all. But um yeah, it was about the strength of 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 me as a woman. It was about reclaiming um black female um autonomy in art and it was about um also you know this this history that was denied um and just all these things just came together at once for me it was it was like just snapping my fingers now wnhh 103.5 fm in new haven is a juxtaposition of things coming together different ideas and voices you are listening to law life and culture i'm betsy kim with nona faustine a photographer whose work at art space now focuses on the truth about American history and how that affects racial justice. I particularly found powerful the photo of your pushing against the columns of City Hall in New York. It's a visually stunning image with your beautiful dark skin color wearing only white shoes in contrast to the monumental white marble columns at the front entrance with the imposing dark wooden doors beyond the columns. The photograph is called They Tag the Land with Trophies from Their Conquests and Rapes. This touches a bit on our earlier conversation about slavery and rape, but can you explain this photo and its title? Well, you know, all over the country, you have these kind of Western um, style structures, architecture that, you know, imitates uh, Greek and Roman uh, architecture um and, but a lot of it is in this kind of imperial uh architecture it's it's done to send like a message you know and a, a lot of what goes on in buildings that look like this some municipalities government uh you know um and so to to me for the, actually there's uh, a building similar like that in Brooklyn where it sits on the site of a Native American headquarters of the Lenape Indian. And there was something that struck me about that. And even even the Tweed Courthouse where Tag Delan is sits on top of an African burial ground. And that whole area of downtown Manhattan has municipal buildings of that type, government, Supreme Court. And what does that say to uh, black and brown people, native people, when uh, a, a, the majority builds a structure like that on top of uh, a burial ground, sacred ground? You know, that's sending a message. Yeah. And so it, it, I, I had this idea of just going there and just moving that building off that site, off of those people who in life never had any freedom, was worked to death. Many of them are children um, and babies, so they never even got to live because they were so malnourished. Um, and so I just, I just had this feeling like I would go there and like just push that building off if I could, if I had the strength. And so that's what I'm doing in that image. Okay. In that image, are you at the columns? Is that City Hall or is that Tweed Court? That is Tweed Courthouse, but City Hall is behind that okay. building. So it, it's all on that 6.6 that .6 acre cemetery called the African Burial Ground. 
Now, in that image, you look very strong and powerful. It seems to be a combination where you're stronger than Atlas and more determined than Samson. <laughs> Were those type of you know, mythologies or stories in your mind when you designed this uh, image? Definitely Samson. And uh, the earlier name for that that uh, image was called Samsonella, which was a female Samson, but I changed it to more uh, give a title that would help the viewer convey of what I was I was really intending. But both of them work. This year has been interesting for me because I um, saw two rather eye opening experiences in that. First, I saw I'm Not Your Negro, the James Baldwin uh, documentary. And also, I had an opportunity to listen to Brian Stevenson. Mm -hmm. And he's a lawyer and a civil rights activist who is the founder and executive director of Equal Justice Initiative. He's working to build a memorial to commemorate the 4,000 black people who were lynched in our country. Did you see that film and know Stevenson's work? And does it tie into yours? Absolutely. I saw um, I'm Not Your Negro and was unbelievably moved. I'm, you know, I, I think of James Bowen as sort of like my godfather in many ways, of reading his works very early and in, in, as a youth. And something that has always stayed with me, um, his statement about America and the country in which we live, um, loving America, but having... Uh, the right to criticize her um, and also um, Michael Brian Stevenson very much aware of the work he's doing um, and just phenomenal and so there's this whole I think there's this whole kind of um, force that's taking place in this country where African Americans and and all, so many of us um are it's a diverse group of people who are calling forth a kind of healing, a reconcili a reconciliation, or something that took place in South Africa when they, you know, uh, after apartheid, there was um, a kind of reconciliation of all the crimes that were committed against Black South Africans. We didn't have that in this country, and I I believe that if we did, it would allow us to start really the healing process because I don't feel like we've ever really begun it. And so you have so many people now, Tehesi Coates, um, uh, artists of all and painting and photography and film um, who have taken on these subjects, um, the subject in a way that sort of pushes the country forward to kind of healing. And and I think what artists are doing is, is very necessary and very powerful in that. Um, and so, yes, his, what Brian is doing is it's, it's so about time because the crimes that happen in the, in the D South, the lynching, it still stays with us. And that's an intergenerational trauma that is handed down. And particularly um, African-Americans, uh, are still dealing with that. Three generations, some of us, out of slavery. You know, and another aspect, I think, about the film and the talk, I think for me, it was the first time I realized how much the concept of the American dream or notion of American exceptionalism intentionally whitewashes our history, particularly concerning black slavery and its legacy. Mm -hmm. And for years, nobody would look at or people would intentionally avert their 
gazes, not only because it was truly upsetting, but also because it interferes with our desire to see ourselves as a noble grail of idealism. Right. Is this not meaning to demean what is great about this country, but nonetheless is denying our history, as you spoke a a bit earlier in our conversation, but does that make it impossible to move forward unless we redress and confront the wrongs of our past? We have to. We have to address the wrongs of our past because, okay, there's one one group of people over here talking about how uh, that history has affected them and denied their humanity. And then there's another group going on uh, just with blinders on as if nothing has never happened, but they feel it. They do feel it. You know, or I don't think that they say nothing has happened, but there's this, oh, it's all taken care right, of. It's all taken it's care of. But but they do, but they do feel it. And when the two get together, it's the biggest elephant in the room. So unless we come together uh, I think one part is also in, in this deep denial, as Tehesi Coates talked about in his book. Um, and so in order for us to put our, you know, uh, it just put it all on the table, uh, we have to name the thing, you know. And I think um, until we actually be allowed to express that thing. Um, I feel that that we can't really go forward and heal as a nation. That's what you're seeing now. That big strife that that that's was brought out in the election of 2016 is is a result of not dealing with our history. Yeah. And I do want to talk about the election, because I think um, on November 9th, the day after Mm -hmm. the election, I saw several types of postings on Facebook, which said, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, no matter who won or lost, the American people win because we live in the greatest country of the world, exclamation points. And this was not overtly putting on racial blinders, but to me, it was intentionally ignoring many other signs about Trump, frankly, that Mm -hmm. went beyond just red flags. Right. And I think, you know, for example, his mocking the disabled, the Access Hollywood tapes, his refusal to show his taxes. But this gut reaction of, nonetheless, we live in the greatest country of the Mm -hmm. world. To me, that's very similar to this um, accepting the brutality of more than 200 years Mm -hmm. of black slavery. Oh, that's just a problem in the past. Right. We live in the greatest country in the world. Right. So, well, well, the greatest country, if we lived in the greatest country in the world, um, we wouldn't be a nation that kills our children in the streets. We wouldn't be uh, dealing with an, uh, Tamir Rice. Um, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with a Mike Brown. We wouldn't be dealing with so many of them um, who have been shot down and killed in their homes. In, the, in some in some cases, so I I worry about this this civilization that's supposed to be the greatest country in the world, but yet kills its children. So, and that's a holdover from uh, this slavery of looking at uh, black children not as children. But as adults, but on even not even as adults, because why would you kill a, a, a armless uh, um, man, you know, or child, you know? So um, in many in many respects, I have to, you know, disagree severely because the facts are what it are, what they are. 
as the lead artist with ArtSpace's summer apprenticeship program, what did you do? Well, um, we had a curriculum in which I taught uh, 13 um, teenagers about photography um, and self-portraiture. And but photography with with a kind of social justice bent to it. So um, we were spending a lot of time looking at what was done in the history of photography, what is currently being done, um, primarily uh, women photographers, because I, I told my students if they were to go forward as as pursuing photography and art, that they would not um, be introduced to a lot of women artists, unfortunately. And so that's what we did. And we also went on a lot of um, field trips around New Haven to historical sites and talking about the, the black history that was in, the, in those sites. If you had to choose one key point, what is it that you hope the students learned from the program? Oh, my goodness. Um, I hope that they go forward and challenge and think um, about the places that they go and the history there and what they mean. Um, just have a critical eye when they look out into the world. Um, and that's what I, I, I tried to instill in them. Now, their artwork is still on display at ArtSpace. So I wanted to ask if you have any example of one of the most or more moving works of art that one of your students created and how it reflects perhaps how this program affected him or her. Um, yes, I would say there was this one image by um, a student named Phoenix whose um, mother had rescued a mammy bank, a mammy, uh, you know, in, in, in our ancient history, <laughs> no, or not so ancient history, um, caricatures of black women and men were made and children um, and uh, they could take on as banks or cookie jars or whatever. And they usually were uh, derogatory images. And so her mother rescued this bank um, from a flea market in L.A. And she brought that bank to the steps of the Supreme Court and placed it on the steps and photographed it looking at one of the statues. And when I saw it, it just took my breath away. Um, and she's biracial and her mother is biracial. And so there was this history there of, of you know, of course, of race, um, you know, and just that whole history of blackface and, you know, derogatory images of um, African-Americans and that history. But then, you know, this cry for justice, you know, but also Mammy, you know, with her hands on her hip, looking up at that statue in the Supreme Court, you know, um, challenging, you know. And so I just like and that was the moment when I realized that everything I had been showing them and, and teaching them had had just she found it. She found it and she she used it um, to speak about how she felt and her mother and so it was it was just really profound. May I ask, did you learn anything from the art space program? Yes. Oh, my God. I learned so much from them. Uh, you know, th there's this uh, this phrase that 
teaching is is a gift, but it's not just a gift to the student. It's t- for the teacher as well. And it strengthened my practice, you know, because just just the assignments that I gave them also in a way were kind of for me, too. And a lot of the, f- the photographers that we visited, even though I know and they have influenced my work, but just going back and hearing them again. So um, and just and just seeing their freshness, the way they ab- absorbed like a sponge uh, what all the conversations we had and then took it back out on the street with their camera. Uh, it, it just, it was amazing. And what I love about art space is how it again does not disappoint in what seems to be its mission to present thought provoking exhibitions for public education. Mm-hmm. And these generate discussions to cultivate change, to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. If you had one final takeaway that you wanted our listeners to get from our program, what would that be? Oh, gosh, um, that art is is healing and art is is powerful um, and that what artists do in in many ways is almost like medicine. You know, um, we we pick out that thing and to call attention to um, and we do it for a reason. And so um, because it's, it's necessary. And so with that, that's that's that one thing. Now, I'd highly recommend all listeners to check out Nona Faustine's exhibition. It was curated by Latanya Autry, who is the curator of art and civil rights at Tougaloo College and the Mississippi Museum of Art. Her name may ring a bell with New Haveners, as Latanya was formerly a fellow in the Department of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Yale University Art Gallery. Well, thank you, Nona Faustine, photographer and visual artist, whose work, your work is now on display at ArtSpace. And ArtSpace is on the corner of Crown and Orange Streets at 50 Orange Street. And I'd highly recommend that people check it out. And for those listening online or watching us live on New Haven's, the New Haven Independence Facebook site or tuning into 103.5 FM, thank you for joining us on Law, Life and Culture. I'm Betsy Kim.